In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show kara maliki sanchez of five r's the festival of international virtual and augmented reality stories which is coming up this month both online and for the first time not in toronto but in west hollywood we also introduce a new segment the Big Idea. This is a recurring segment where we will talk with educators in the immersive and experiential fields about one big idea they like to communicate to their students. This week, we have David Basick, professor of theater arts at Purchase College SUNY, to kick off the segment with us. And yes, eagle-eared listeners know he is one of our backers. Plus, the pick of the week, and if you stick around for the end of the show, some updates on the next stage, which is headed your way this January in Pasadena. That's our big in-person event, which we are giving our all to. But first, headlines. Hello, this is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Proscenium. Here's what's in your immersive headlines for October 8th. The immersive theater company Third World Projects has announced their next in-person project, Building upon their collaboration with Albany Park Theatre Project, the two companies will mount Port of Entry sometime in 2022-2023. Port of Entry will invite audiences to step inside the stories of immigrants from all parts of the world as they forge new lives within the walls of a single apartment building in Chicago. Previously, the two organizations worked together to create Learning Curve, a 2016 immersive performance that placed audiences in the shoes of students in a Chicago public high school. And here on the tech side of things, CNET's Scott Stein reports back on his experience attempting to use various XR devices during Facebook's outage this past week, which also affected Oculus services. While his Oculus Quest headset still started up and was operational, all of Facebook's services underneath were gone, including the App Store, avatars, and his Facebook friends list. Writes Stein, Altspace VR working while Oculus was down is a great reminder that Facebook should never be the sole source of the metaverse, nor will it. Speaking of the metaverse, journalists Adi Robinson and Jay Peters of The Verge recently asked, what is the metaverse and do I have to care? In a new piece that explores the origins and current usage of the much overloaded term. Robertson and Peters point out that two common metaverse reference points, that is Snow Crash and Ready Player One, are both actually works of fiction set in horrible dystopian futures, and the current working definitions of metaverse circa 2021 are often quite contradictory. And speaking of contradictory, friend of the show Ricky Briganti points out on Twitter the extreme lengths that Walt Disney Imagineers have gone in order to allow guests taking a voyage on the Galactic Star Cruiser to get some fresh air during their stay. After all, they're supposed to be on a ship flying through space, so the quote climate simulator aboard the Star Cruise will be an open air space on the ship to allow guests to step outside whenever they want or need to. So as Ricky points out, quote, you're a Walt Disney World guest, pretending a hotel is a spaceship, pretending televisions are windows into space, pretending you're inside the Star Wars universe, pretending that the real world outside is not actually the real world, but a simulation. Talk about suspension of disbelief. And these have been your immersive headlines. 
One more thing about the Star Cruiser, Disney Vacation Club members got to start booking their trips this week, and word on the Holonet is that demand is far outstripping supply, which is, well, pretty normal for this day and age with, like, everything. Joining us now is Karen Maliki Sanchez, founder and executive director of Five R's, the Festival of International Virtual and Augmented Reality Stories, which is coming up here in October, and the EIC of IndieGameReviewer.com. Karen, thanks for, uh, for being on the show today. I couldn't be happier than to be here with you. Glad I'm really glad this worked out. Particularly because, uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. For those who aren't familiar with the festival, and I know a, a fair amount of the listenership is, but there's our, you know, immersive gaming and our uh, our theater folks might not be. Uh, what is Five R's? Five R's uh, is something I started back in 2015 to look at the potential for immersive spatial media, and um, really focused on stories as opposed to uh, the general VR tech or AR tech, because stories are, as you well know, um, an extremely optimized way to transmit large amounts of complex data into a succinct and memorable um, funnel, really, like a foveation. And so I picked this narrow band of virtual augmented reality stories to see how can new stories be told. And I don't really focus on storytelling per se, but rather like what is the emergent um, definition for this when it can be nonlinear and it can be embodied and um, it can simply be about presence, just presence. So that's the, the exploration and the festival tries to look at new modalities as opposed to simply showcasing existing catalogs, we really try to identify works that are breaking stride or pushing the form in new directions. Some of them are perfect. Some of them are scrappy and in development. But if they really highlight some key new approach, we're going to focus on that. And so uh, basically, this is our eighth festival over the course of six years. And we are now a hybrid festival with a in-person uh, event this year and a two-week online virtual uh, space following that. And the in-person this year is not where Five R's usually is. You're in LA this year, which is where you yourself are normally based out of. And that's a big shift for y'all. Yeah, we started in the shadow of the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, you should try asking my previous publicists how they feel about going up against 300 new films um, in the same week. <laughs> it's a big but, shadow. Like, 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 it's a big shadow. <laughs> it's enormous. And, you know, they take up six city blocks and they have red carpets running down avenues and it's insane. But my logic was, hey, if we can find a little bar around the corner from the main box office and we have... 30,000 people emerging, I'm sure we could get a small trickle of those people to come and see this new thing that we're evangelizing called VRAR. And it worked and it was really good. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is, I also have lived in Los Angeles for 25 years and split my time between the two cities. And most of the people I know in the immersive industry are actually in California. 
So I had this amazing opportunity to use this ga- gorgeous gallery space over in uh, West Hollywood. And I said, yes, this is, this makes all the sense. You know, we'll, we'll keep it uh, small, intimate, extremely safe. We'll do it sort of by appointment, but it's a lovely neighborhood. And if people find a way that they can get together for a lemonade nearby and stand up on their feet and watch some of these installation pieces that are impossible to do online, then why not do it? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, I think the, particularly with the installation pieces or like watching people perform inside VR is, uh, is it's a pretty incredible thing to see live for those who haven't gotten a chance to do them. Like it's just such a yeah. different, it's just a different beast. Um, how do you see five hours on the overall festival landscape? You just talked about how it sort of existed in the shadow of Toronto for a long time, but there's like, you know, a few years ago or when you started, you know, there was definitely work at Sundance and work at Tribeca. Um, but now it's like Tribeca, Sundance, Indicade, Raindance, Venice. Like there's there's so many big festivals in both film and, and games that are, are, are touching on this world. How do you see Five Hours fitting into that ecosystem? Well, I actually think in the timeline that we were first in 2015, I think Sundance hadn't quite yet taken on the VR mantle because I remember when I heard about it and I was like, oh, guess what? Now five, uh, now Sundance is going to do some. We were first in the sense of a festival, but there was the Kaleidoscope Festival before us who was doing a touring show where, you know, Renee was like driving around in a minivan with a bunch of swivel chairs and going from city to city. So it all kind of happened in the same like two month cluster at that time. And I did think immediately, like, what, what is the point of us? Like, how do we differentiate ourselves and why do we like, do we really even need to be here? Well, one difference is with Kaleidoscope pivoting more into like a funding agency um, for work, we're the only VR, AR festival of that circuit that is not attached to a film festival. So we stand and live and die on the content alone without an extended um, larger festival or brand. Um, And so it's interesting because we have to balance finding content that is worth getting in your car to drive across town to do or to pay a ticket to go online and watch versus also not simply being redundant to those other festivals who are doing extraordinary work and showcasing Emmy-worthy and Oscar-worthy material. I think what happens is that people typically say to me, I don't know where you guys find some of this content. Like you guys find stuff that nobody else seems to find. I don't know why or how we do it, except that I think because of our early days with TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival, we really did a lot of international outreach. So the key focus was first to look at Asia, South America, Africa, the you know the Emirates for distributors, developers, and producers. And that continues to this day where we get dozens and dozens of unsolicited submissions truly from around the world. And that is really what's extremely exciting to me is being able to show stuff that you might otherwise not know is out there. So for this year, speaking of stuff you might not know that's out there, uh, what are people going to be able to see both in 
the gallery space in WeHo and online? And uh, when can they get access to that? So tickets just went on sale um, in this week, which is the last week of September. And I can assure you that there are very, very few tickets for in-person because we're going to be doing two-hour blocks. And inside of those two-hour blocks where you can come and view, we're only going to admit like two to four people for COVID safety reasons. And so over the course of two days, we're only talking about like 30 25 to 30 tickets total. And then on the third day, the 17th, we will do a series of talks and panels for a limited audience of ticket holders, but we will tape those and broadcast those later. Um, If you come to the show, you're going to get access to some unique new gear that you might not have seen before. You will also be able to meet some very important and interesting uh, developers of both augmented reality and some of the creators of the content that we're showing at the festival. So those meet and greets are always really fruitful. And those people love to hear your feedback like in person, which will typically go and change their projects based on that feedback. And that's always been a really big part of 5Rs is after every time somebody exits an experience, we say, what would you give that out of five? And, you know, take some comments down. And we always give that back to the developers. And it does have a power to modulate the work. Um, And then out of that, we get a people's choice for best interactive and best passive work. Um, And so, yeah, we have some nice physical objects at the space that you can look at, ARGs and so on and so forth. And it's not beyond me that there's cues here that sort of feel like Indiecade, of which I'm an enormous fan and lifelong disciple. I've loved Indiecade from the second year where I went and started covering it for IGR. What I really liked about Indiecade was always like the unexpected. I went there and there was something off book that I discovered. Um, that is the wonder of like in-person right? Is those unexpected little moments. So beyond that, we will have um, a couple of eight by eight, six DOF, uh, stand on your feet VR installations uh, with whether they're Vive Pros or like the reverbs um, so that you can not have to set up your Vive at your house and see some of this work, uh, some of its premiere status globally. So you'd be the first to see it. And who knows, you know, sometimes this stuff doesn't get distribution. It doesn't get on the app store. Where does it end up? And so you might never see it again. And I'll say, like, that's a part of the Toronto Film Festival that I always loved, too, is like, I would go see some strange, like, grindhouse film from the Philippines, and never again would that ever be available anywhere. And that's the value. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like when you're at a festival to be at a festival, you're going to see stuff that will never find another audience and might be might be the most amazing work you've ever seen. And it might be something that, you know, hits like that, that uh, creator might hit a few years later. Um, and you know, like on the say on the Sundance slam dance circuit, there, right. there was always like, you know, Chris Nolan's first movie was at slam dance and then <laughs> his next one was at Sundance. And that, that kind of rhythm of things is, uh, is what's beautiful about that world. Karim, I'm so excited that, uh, five hours is going to be in WeHo and uh, I get to shoot over there next month. So, yeah. uh, it's going to be a blast. We'll, we'll probably meet in person then. So that'll be great. Well, we're huge fans of what you're doing at No Proscenium. Been tracking you for a long time, and uh, I'm, you know, I think it's also really important for the different um, clusters and circles. This is the same thing I tried to achieve in Toronto: was to 
find synergies between all of these groups and mitigate fragmentation. Because I think that all of us can like learn from each other and cross pollinate in really wonderful and interesting ways. And frankly, the expense of trying to educate the public on the on the jargon and the why and the where um, is much easier done if we can all work together to create that awareness. Oh yeah, most definitely. And the, probably the most important part of that is just getting more people connecting with the work itself because you can try to explain this stuff to people, but it's really hard to get people to understand if they haven't done it themselves. And then once they've done it, they're initiated and uh, more often than not turn into an evangelist. Yeah. You know, my final statement will just be, I watch these pieces in the end. I have to eventually sit down off the spreadsheet and put the headset on and go through it. And it's so powerful. Like all these stories, all these little short form pieces, these pieces about what it was like to live through COVID as a student or what it was like to be a senior living in a certain country during lockdown or whether it's about mental health or whether it's about dance and um, sexuality or or just like living in Ecuador as a uh, lower class uh, business person, it just stays with you in such a different way. Um, immersive content is so palpable and powerful. And I just want to re-invite people to come back and really experience what this potential medium is about. Fantastic. All right. We will see you there. Thanks. Hi, this is Kevin Gossett, LA Reviews Editor for No Persinium. Each week we publish a review rundown and gather the review crew in Discord for a podcast where we check in what they're buzzing about. But it's here and only here that we reveal the pick of the week. This week, the pick of the week is brought to us by... Hi everyone, it's Patrick McLean, the Chicago Curator with No Persinium. And Patrick, what is the pick of the week this week? The pick of the week this week is The Leah Project, an online interactive horror comedy musical experience. So a little bit of everything, as you can tell from that title. And what makes it the pick of the week? What makes this the pick of the week is I I just frankly really enjoyed this experience. Um, essentially, what this piece is about is you have hacked your way into essentially an Amazon-like company called Ethico, and you've discovered that in the rollout of their uh, AI, Leah, she has recently had a bug that has made her super self-aware and super focused and hyper in love with one of the beta test users who conveniently is going through a rough patch in his long distance relationship and as you kind of piece together the mystery of what happened uh, it's a wonderful surprise that leah when she conveys her thoughts and feelings about what happened and breaks into song through these pre-recorded musicals that have really cool video elements and has this really nice synthesized beat to it that really is frankly catching. I was, as I mentioned in, in my review on the website, like I, I, I was humming these songs well after I did the experience and I keep coming back to them and I cannot wait for the soundtrack at large to drop on Spotify. Additionally, uh, it's a somewhat self-guided 
web-based experience. So all of the performances by actors and these songs are pre-recorded. So you go through it, but then there are small moments where you can do prompts, like to respond to uh, your manager who is on the website as well, like in the internal Ethico website. And there's just some really laugh out loud hysteria that happens. Like I generally like belly laughed a few times with the back and forth in when I selected a prompt. So there's a really a lot of cool stuff to love in this experience. I, I will say that, um, you know, it is a little clunky in the audience experience in that it's never quite clear the role I'm playing. Am I a character? Am I myself? What exactly am I doing here? What are my objectives? Additionally, sometimes when I make a choice, it's somewhat um, ignored in service of the larger narrative. But as we were talking about on Review Crew this week, uh, which everyone can listen to in detail, is that it was just really fun that like while there was a few kind of elements that didn't work, the overall experience and the narrative was just really a joy and a blast to do. And messy experiences can be fun experiences and experiences worth checking out. And uh, I think for this one, because it is free and it's available anytime, you could pause the podcast right now and go do it and uh, do the whole entire 90-minute experience at your leisure uh, via web browser of your choice. It's so engaging just to be like, check it out, to explore it. And, you know, maybe if you know some people who are wanting to check out immersive theater or not quite sure what it is, this is one of those really great, like kind of gateway experiences that gives you a little bit of everything that you can do from the comfort of your home at no cost. That sounds like a really cool experience. Um, and I think everyone can just use a little bit of fun right now. So, um, Thanks for that, Patrick. You can learn more about the Leah project on nopersinium.com. You can also check out the rest of the review down, rundown and see what our writers and editors are up to this week. And you can check out the Review Crew podcast, just one back in your podcast feed. We've now reached that part of the show we're calling The Big Idea. And if you're good at contextual clues, you know that we're going to talk about one big idea. With us today is David Basick, the professor of theater arts at Purchase College SUNY. That's the State University of New York, for those who don't know and aren't initiated. And he's also creative director of White Horse Immersive. David, thank you for joining us today. Oh, great to be with you, Noah. Just for context for everybody, this is the first one we've recorded. So, you know, I'm winging it. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if the structure sounds weird, maybe it's the first one we're going to air. We don't know. David, what's your big idea today? The concept that there's always a new medium and the old medium dies or fades away, I think is a mistake. I think people have lots of different mediums that they will express themselves in that are current and old ones that will be rediscovered, and certainly new ones that will be invented. And the sort of system of mediums, whether they be platforms or whether they be venues, are all places where 
people gather to receive narrative of some kind. And there has been a very dominant uh, message in certainly the study of storytelling and the study of narrative, which are two different things, that ultimately it is a hero's journey. It is a piece that has three acts and it moves from beginning, middle to end. And that is a very, that is a system of narrative, which has served the development of fables and the development of a certain kind of cultural uh, uh, privilege system. So what I'm seeing and what I'm excited about is the breakdown of that system, where the the concept of story is a module of something larger called story world, or some people like story universe. it's a little too genre specific for me, but story world is a place where multiple stories happen. The larger story is not a coherent system. So this means that a story world could have not only use multiple mediums and multiple venues and multiple moments in the course of an audience member's life. It also means that the story world is discoverable It means that the story world is iterative. It means that the story world is also uh, interactive and potentially, and most potentially, co-created so that the audience can co-create and extend the content. So this begins to take us, in some ways, forward from Henry Jenkins' concept of fan culture or Christy Dina's larger concept of, like, transmedia and games as being an emergent narrative that is created with audiences and designers and uh, narrative uh, designers, where one has a playable, engaged space inside of a story world. And that story world is contained by not only its characters, its locations, perhaps its history, but more importantly, its values and it's it, it's energy, um, and one generation can adapt it in this way. It could be a drama. It could be a comedy. It's fungible, and this larger story world means that we could actually create a community within a larger narrative structure like a story world, but we're not locked into this crazy system that we have in an older version of the culture, which I'm going to say older, but it's still clearly around, where when you talk about adapting a book to a movie, a movie to a play, a play to a podcast, a podcast to a series, and like as if each of these shifts between the mediums was somehow coherent, because they're not. Because once you take the, the piggy bank and you break it, it's only the coins that you want. You don't need the ceramic, you know, pork. You need to take what you've taken from it. And what are those coins? That's the story world. It's spreadable. You can spend it in different mediums. You can spend it in different venues. Um, but this notion that the story in its original form, whatever that was, is somehow sacrosanct or in a privileged position to all of the iterations is, a, is an idea which is fading or decaying or 
defunct. And in an, in an era where we're beginning to engage with audiences actively, it's a concept we need to let go of. There's two routes here that, that I want to try and see if we can okay. loop in the time we have. One, okay. you know, part of what you're describing and talking about, and, I, and I'm right there with you, right? Particularly, mm-hmm. I, I love to make the television didn't kill radio, you know, right. examples, my favorite one, right? Yeah. But it also feels like to some degree, we're talking about um, a literal renaissance, rebirth of mm-hmm. some of the things we lost in the oral tradition, right? Oh, yeah. Like, totally, like you know, you know and, and that's been around in human culture a lot longer than printing press or even, you know, like scrolls, right? Like there's something super fundamental of this idea of the way we pass mm-hmm. stories on um, yeah. changes every time we tell the story. And it's one of the reasons why when I see people freak out, like, oh, not another Batman movie, that that sounds to me like something like, not another production of Hamlet. I mean, look, you can fill up on too much Hamlet and too much Batman. Like, that is true. But mm-hmm. is the same impulse, you know, like, oh, gosh, not, you know, not Hades and 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 Persephone again. We do this every year. Yeah, we do it every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 well, yeah, because like reclaiming because that. we're, because we're fetishizing the original and that's mm. something that we should not do because it doesn't serve us. So yeah, let's take the, there's you know, not another Hamlet. Yeah. You can see a lot of bad Hamlets and think maybe it's Hamlet's fault till you see a good one. <laughs> like recently I was that way with Midsummer Night's Dreams. Like, you know, when it comes to anyone announcing a Midsummer Night's Dream, I think I'm good. I think I'm good for a while, you know? And if, then I if someone that, makes one more immersive Alice in Wonderland, right. I am going to yeah. shove them through the smallest door I can find. But, but listen, that's why I held off till almost too late to see Then She Fell. And then when I saw it, it's, uh, it's one of the most extraordinary pieces of theater immersive that I've ever seen. And so I'm not telling myself that anymore. And, the Midsummer Night's Dream that I just saw from the bridge that was on the Nationals streaming channel is so freaking good. It's so good. I mean, even though it's it's kind of an immersive production, but you're watching it on a video, but it's still filled with joy and cleverness and funny. And I just adored it. So I was like, you know what? To ever decide that you're not going to see something based on the content, you know, it should be based on the company that creates it. It should be based on the director or the actors or you know, how they're, what they're, what the values are that they're bringing to the story. Content is, you know, it's beanbag. It doesn't matter. It matters what they're doing with it. So we're always talking about like the theater as if one, it's a building, which is dumb because it's not a building. It is a venue, right? And suddenly when the person says, what are you studying? Theater. You know, what are you studying? Architecture? Like, you know, plumbing? Like, no, it's dumb. Theater is a dumb word for what people are studying when they're studying theater. I'm a professor of theater arts. You know what I think of that now. So the concept that you would be analyzing or like making any judgments about what you might see based on anything other than who is shaping it and what you've heard about what they're doing with it, that's really what matters. So, you know, if, if there is another Alice, if there's a, if a, there's a show that the problem with Alice and the problem with Midsummer Night's Dream is very often the people who do it, do it because they think, oh, well, that's what we should do, you know? 
And it's not a great concept. It's, it's like, it's not enough. It's actually harder to do a good Hamlet because a lot of good Hamlets have preceded you. Yeah, but if, it, if you're building in the story world of Hamlet, and if you're building in the story world of other productions, you can make incredible innovations, either go minimalist like Peter Brick did for so many years, or go maximalist like um, some of these crazy German directors have been doing in recent years. You know, it's all good if it's good. Like if it, ca- if it catches your attention, engages you, and transforms you. I'm really with the Joe Pine system of like, it's not enough for it to be fun or engaging. It's got to be transformational. And I mean, that's my bar, not necessarily like, oh, it's another one of those. Like that would be, that would be like judging a person by their gender or their race or their sexual orientation. It's too, it's too facile. It's too surface. You know, it's too much. It's not an indicator of the depth of a person and the title and where it's drawn from is not a good indicator of like what you might be missing if you go. I mean, I think that's true with genre too. Like, you know, there are certain genres that I love, but that doesn't mean I love everything in that genre. You know, it might be an indicator of maybe, but it's not an indicator of, you know, it's not a cert- it's not a certainty. All right, David, I'm going to hold on the other, on the other path. We may, okay. we may come back around at some point on that one because I know I want people to be able to chew on what we've already talked about already. David okay. Basick, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today and uh, trying out this new segment with us. Great to be with you and great to be interacting because I'm a long-time listener, as they say. <laughs> long-time listener, so, first-time caller. Got it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> I forgot the phrase. That's it. just got one more segment of the show to go but before we do that i want to thank karam and david for being our guests i want to thank patrick and kevin uh for coming through with the pick of the week and also for doing all the engineering on that and on the review crew this week you can check that out just one stop back in your feed i wasn't around for the recording this week so i'm gonna go check it out myself uh when i'm driving to a show tonight um i wasn't around because i was at a show on wednesday probably hear more about that next week on the review crew definitely we'll hear about it on the rundown and uh of course Catherine you who is not only provides the headlines, is the executive editor over at NoPro, and is a key member of our programming team for the next stage, which is coming up in January in Pasadena. All right, before we talk about the next stage, because we've got a couple of speaker announcements and one more announcement to talk about, and indeed some of that stuff's been on social already, So, uh, but there is new, there is new, so hold, hold on. You're going to get a preview. Uh I need to talk to you about our Patreon campaign. I know, I know, but I do. Uh, for starters, uh, we uh, we are aiming to, by the end of the year, hit 400 backers, which is actually a scale down. We were originally hoping to hit 500 backers, and um, it's just, you know, uh, well, this year. You know how this year's been. Um, what we do... Uh, we do first want to thank our latest backers, uh, Venetia Harpin and Noah Nethery. 
uh, for jumping in this month and for helping to push us into a place where we are uh, no longer bleeding out <laughs> backers for the month. We are now pulled even again. Uh, so that's good. Uh, we are at 333 right now. So we've got uh, 67 to go. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, we get just uh, right now, thanks to the help of everybody who, who jumped in, we get just over just over uh, two thousand dollars a month, um, which is, you know, I mean, you tell the 17 year old me and he'd be like, oh, my God, what you tell the soon to be 46 year old me. And, uh, he has a different opinion of $2,000. So there we go. Um, I know a lot of your backers already. The main thing everyone can do, and I say this every week, and I know it's silly. It feels silly to me, but spreading the show around, spreading the rundown, spreading the call sheet when it hits, sharing what we do makes a huge impact. We do ask two or $5 a month, which is like, you know, 24 or $60 a year, uh, which is, you know, less than, um, a lot of other subscriptions we do ask. Uh, but the, the big thing is if you can share, if you can share, uh, cause not everyone can give. And I know, I know not everyone can give because, um, it's a rough time. It's a rough time in the economy. Uh, it's, it's very, very weird. It's just weird. Supply chains are constrained. Um, no one knows which way things are going. Uh, I'm, I'm weirdly optimistic, um, because I choose to be, if I, if I go the other way, then, uh, I just, I just sit and stare at the wall. Some days I sit and stare at the wall. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I can't lie to you. Some days I just stare at the wall. I did some of that on Thursday. I was just like, Hmm, black widow, Ted Lasso, let's go. And, and, and it healed me. Um, it did. That last Ted Lasso was so good. Uh, all right. I want to thank our sustaining backers because these are the people who uh, <laughs> who make the madness possible. They are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, David Bassick, who you heard earlier, Lonnie Hanson, Paul Farnell, Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. Patreon.com slash no persinium. Two or five dollars a month. Spread the word. Thank you all so much. All right. We've are we've been planning and we've been working on an event for over two years now. Because originally it was going to be in March of 2020. So many of you know the story. You know what happened. And over the past month, we've been and and change, we've been announcing more and more speakers. We've announced that we brought a lot of people who we were going to have in 2020. Uh, are coming out in 2022 in January in Pasadena for what we now call the next stage, the next stage summit uh, and something else. Give me a second. Now we've already announced a lot of folks who were originally planned for 2020. Uh, we've announced Sarah Ellis of the Royal Shakespeare Company. We've got Risa Puno, the creator of The Privilege of Escape, coming through. We have Vance Garrett of Constellation Immersive. And Vance has been there at the inception of the New York run of sleep no more at 29 rooms museum of ice cream. Uh, we've even announced folks who were going to be surprises in 2020 Hamish Jenkinson, 
who was one of the founders of the Old Vic Tunnels and whose uh, agency, The Department, works all over the world and recently announced their spinoff, The Department Studios, who are working with DC on stuff. That's very exciting to me personally, because aside from me, a Star Wars nerd, I'm a Batman nerd, so it should be fun. So aside from all that, we're not remotely done when it comes to announcing the programming getting some stuff signed off on, et cetera, et cetera. You know how the, actually, I don't know how the impossible sausage is made, but it is delicious and I keep on eating it. Um, so, but you know how the event sausage is made. It takes some time. This week we have two announcements that we dropped on social media. The first is uh, we have, and this one's, this one's particularly fun. We've got Asad J. Malik, the CEO of Jadu. Jadu is a Web3 AR platform that is being put together to build a future where creation of content is democratized, decentralized, and creator-owned. Asad not only is on the technology side, but he is a storyteller in his own right. His Terminal 3 project premiered at Tribeca. It used the HoloLens, and it told this amazing story, it created this incredible experience uh, that contextualized immigration uh, by by putting you into the shoes of an immigration agent. Uh, just it, just a, a fascinating approach to um, using the AR technology to tell spatialized stories. And really, it was the first time that I saw AR as an actual storytelling tool and not just a cool tech demo everyone was doing and you know others took notice because uh he wound up doing a project with hololens uh no no that was a project with hololens he wound up doing a project with magic leap after that and now he's building this platform jadu um this is uh going to be a great talk that's going to be between Assad and uh in fireside format with jesse damiani uh, the Forbes contributor who you've heard on the show before and who, when I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the weird space where like the art world and the tech world are meeting, I always go straight to Jesse and Assad was like, Hey, uh, could I do fireside? And could, could I have Jesse? And I was like, yeah, you can, that's easy. And, and I'll text Jesse. Cause you know, I was hanging out with Jesse the night before. Uh, so it all, it all, it all works out. It all works out really well. Uh, and so we're very excited to have Assad uh, in the mix. We're also super excited to have Ricky Briganti and Sarah Elger back again in the mix. Ricky and Sarah, as you probably know, are the authors of the Immersive Industry Report, which we publish. And they're going to be through to lead a couple, at least one special segment um, about uh, business. And they're also going to be completely integral to our town hall this year. Um, for those who are at events we produced in the past, uh, you might know we do this thing called town hall. It is a big session uh, with lots of breakouts where we get the community talking about the core issues of the day. And I don't want to get too into detail because we're trying to mix up the formula a little bit this this time out and the goal is to have it have some real impact uh not only at this summit 
but through the whole year and into the next summit. Uh, so just, just know we are scheming like we've never schemed before. And it's also stuff we can actually pull off. So <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be like, we're going to do this like AR mind. No, 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 nothing, nothing like that. But we are really hoping to start some major conversations in the community to push our field forward. Now, the original vision back when we called it the Here Summit and Festival was that we were going to have the summit, something that so many of the folks coming knew we could pull off. And we were going to have a festival because festival for us is end game. Oh, not end game. Lab is end game, but that's a whole other story. It's mid, mid game. <laughs> mid game is festival. We've been really cagey so far about talking about that aspect of what we're trying to do because of the way COVID has gone. But now we're putting all our chips in. The next stage will have a micro festival this time out. It will be very much what we are planning in 2020. It's not completely locked down yet, but I can tell you a lot of the folks that we were working with for the 2020 they're coming back. Other folks who we were working with, we're starting to talk to about bringing them back. If you go on the old here site, you can dig out and find just what that was and who that is. We will, before the public ticket sales go in effect next Wednesday, we will be sharing the identities of some of the projects. Some of them you might be able to figure out by looking at uh, the stuff we've already announced. Others, no, we don't have no idea. Um, but I am really excited about the kinds of work that people are going to get to experience, the way they're going to be able to experience them, and just being able to not only expose folks who maybe traditionally do XR to live immersive theater and live immersive theater folks and escape room folks to XR work and all the vice versas, but to also be able to let everyone talk with the creators and go a little deeper and discover how things were made right then and there in the space. So if that sounds like something you would benefit from, just know Public ticket sales start on the 13th. This is not cheap. Uh, it is a three-day event. It's $650 because we got a big old whole theater campus to play with. And we're bringing people in and putting people up. And we're also subsidizing 100 tickets. So there's 200 tickets that are up for sale. Uh, a lot of which are going actually for less than $650 because we owe people from 2020 and we're making it as right as we can. And there is a batch of folks who got scholarships. So a hundred folks, 50 of which got 
full free ride tickets and 50 of which got deeply discounted tickets. They're like getting for like 150 bucks. That's where the money also goes to balancing out the setup. Just 300 people will be able to attend. Of course, not counting sponsors and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there'll probably be about 500 people on the campus when you add up all the volunteers, all the speakers, et cetera. They're really, and, and I know I'm the person who organizes it. So of course I'm completely biased, but so much of what we do here is a direct response to all of the conferences, all of the events I've covered over my long career as a journalist. I've always been looking for something else looking for what that Bing was a very important Bing <laughs> looking for. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was good. That was good. You're going to see next week. Wait till you see. Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, that's, Oh, some news came in that I'm excited about. Oh my God. All right. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> the force provides, um, this is like the fifth time I've tried to record this. So naturally, as I'm wrapping up, finally get the text I've been waiting for for like a week and a half. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay, look, I'm going to go now because I got to do the other stuff, but just know there's nothing like the next stage. Nothing. Nothing like it. Okay? And I really, if you're a creator, I really hope to see you there. We've done the Patreon backers. Uh, we've done uh, thinking people work on the show. I've gone too long. Oh, uh, experiencethenextstage.com. That's that's where to go and look. And also where you can sign up for the email blasts. All right. Or Immersive Experience Institute uh, is is the other, the other way. Uh, but experiencethenextstage.com. That's the easy one to remember. It's a phrase. It's like Enter the Matrix. I'm a giant nerd. All right, this is now very rambly, but you knew that. We're going to go. We're going to have a great weekend. Much spooky season fun to be had. I'm off to be terrified by clowns tonight. Thank God I don't have that phobia. Maybe I'll have it by the end of the night. We'll see. All right, let's do the credits. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella, who is not responsible for this ramble. <laughs> The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin and happy birthday for voicing our intro. Catherine Yu is the executive editor here at No Pro. And this podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, uh, butchered at the end, and mixed by me. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. 